May we pray together. Our Father in heaven, we pray this morning that the Spirit of Jesus would sweep across this place. Make real what we have already experienced in those songs. And may those who are here without Jesus come to know him and love him and serve him. Give us the leadership of the Holy Spirit in the message. We pray for the moving power of God's Spirit upon this place today. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Would you turn your Bibles, please, to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him, God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders and with divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. The Holy Spirit under the impression of whoever the nameless author of the book of Hebrews is has penned for us some of the most pressing, compelling words ever to appear in print. The word picture is of a ship sailing toward a harbor, and the harbor mist, the ship would have to fall on rocky, clefty ground and would go down into a terrible wreck. But the writer of this scripture is saying we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard and seen lest we should slip, let our lives slip by that harbor and wreck on the rocks of the shore. And then he gives us this warning, for if the word spoken by angels was steadfast and every transgression, transgression is stepping over the line. God draws a line, man steps over it. Every transgression and every disobedience Disobedience is failing or a refusal to hear, a failing, failure to hear, or a refusal to hear. Every disobedience receives a just recompense of reward. How shall we escape if we neglect so great, trans, so great salvation? The word neglect means to ignore. It means to disregard. It means to fail to attend to. It means to leave undone. The whole question is, how shall we escape 
if we leave undone, if we neglect, if we fail to attend to so great salvation. Of all sad words of tongue or pen, the saddest are these it could have been. There are many things we neglect in life. We neglect our studies. Sometimes we neglect our studies as students. We find on report card day or at the end of the semester, we come up with a grade we didn't expect. Yet we could have expected it if we'd known we just neglected our studies. Sometimes we neglect to do term papers until the night before they're due and we stay up all the night long cramming and cramming and cramming, trying to get the term paper in on time. Sometimes we neglect to study for an exam and we stay up all the night long trying to study and cram knowledge into our minds and heads in order to pass an examination. Sometimes we neglect words of kindness that ought to be said. <clears throat> there are people right now who deserve words of kindness from you and me, words of appreciation. We need to go to them. Perhaps before this day is over, some student here ought to make a long-distance call. Get in touch with your mother or daddy and tell them how much you love them, how much you appreciate all they've meant to you and what they've done for you. Sometimes we need to find somebody that has been a blessing to us and express the appreciation of our heart. One of the greatest sins among Christians today is the sin of ingratitude, failure to tell others what they have meant to us, our love for them. And then it becomes too late. And that one, those ears which would have been encouraged by our words of kindness, lie silent in a casket. They cannot hear what we say. A lady at the hospital told me the other day about a man who was dying at the hospital. And he said to his wife, when I die, I want you to put a tape recorder in my casket. And I want you to record all the things that people come by and say, especially all the good things, because nobody ever said any good thing about me when I was alive. And I want you to record them and take them home so that you'll know that somebody thought something good about me while I was alive. Now, we need to express kind things while we are living. There are others who, express, who, who neglect our health rules. We do not follow the doctor's counsel. We discover some ailment or some area of our body where there's a need, and instead of going to the doctor to have that thing taken care of, we neglect it, we put it off, we put it off, and finally we go to the doctor, and the doctor says, if you'd just come six months ago, if you'd come three months ago, I could have done something to help you. But we neglect it. But many times we neglect the achievements that we meant to accomplish. I read a poem that expresses this. I know a land where the streets are paved with things we meant to achieve, walled with money we meant to have saved, and the pleasures for which we grieve. Kind words unspoken, promises broken, and many a coveted boon are gathered there in that land somewhere, the land of pretty soon. There, uncut jewels of possible fame are lying about in the dust. And many a noble and lofty aim are covered with mud and rust. And all oh, this place, while it seems so near, is farther away than the moon. Though purpose is fair, we'll not get there to that land of pretty soon. The road that leads to that mystic land is strewn with pitiable wrecks. 
The ships that sail for its shining strand bear skeletons on their decks. It's further at noon than it was at dawn, and further at night than at noon. Oh, let us beware of that land down there, the land of pretty soon. We meant to achieve, we meant to accomplish, but then life has closed in, and it's all over. We cannot do the things we meant to do. As tragic as all these things are, to neglect our grades, to neglect our health rules, to neglect accomplishments, to neglect kind words that ought to be said to others, it's far more severe to neglect the salvation of somebody else's soul. God puts it on our heart to speak to somebody about their need, their spiritual need. And we say, Lord, I plan to do it. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it the first thing in the morning. I'll do it next day. And we put it off and put it off until then one day we pick up a newspaper and we read in the obituary columns that name. And our heart sinks. And we say it's too late, too late. The Scripture says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? How shall we escape the consequences of neglect? How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? I want to say to you this morning three things about neglect. First, George Truitt used to say, to neglect is not reasonable. To neglect is not right. To neglect is not safe. I want us to see, first of all, the sin the symbol and the seriousness of our neglect. Would you think for a moment of the signs or the symbol of our neglect? In Ezekiel chapter 33, the Scripture says, Nevertheless, if thou warn the wicked of his way to turn from it, and he do not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. When I say unto the wicked, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die. If thou dost not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. One of the signs or the symbols of neglect is the very fact of our impenitence. Some in this room have been warned to flee from the wrath to come. Some Sunday school teacher, some preacher, some mother, some daddy, somebody that loves you has come, sat down beside you and tried to show you from the Bible how to give your life to God, how to be saved, how to know that Christ is dwelling in your heart. But you've neglected, you've put it off. You've said, not today, some other time. One day the sword will come and take you away. But suppose, suppose God has spoken to us about winning someone else to Jesus, and we've not done it, and we've neglected it and put it off and put it off and put it off. And then that person goes from us in death. And all the rest of the years of our lives here, we live with that remembrance. If only I had gotten to that man, that woman, that child, before it was too late. If only I had gone. This is one of the symbols of our neglect. Another symbol is found in Luke chapter 14, the symbol of our excuses. In Luke 14, verse 17, and he sent his servant at, servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee have me excused. 
And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto his servant, Go out into the highways and hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say unto you, that none of those men that were bidden shall taste of my supper. People have rejected and neglected their soul's salvation because of excuses. We have put off doing the thing that God wants us to do because of our own flimsy excuses. What is the reason you have not come to Christ? Some have said, I can't come because I'm afraid I can't hold out. True to the end. Thank the Lord God is the one that does the holding. We're not the holders. Christ is the holder. And when you come to Him, He takes you by the hand and leads you through the valleys of life and places your hand safe in the hand of God. Others have said, I would come, but there's so much I don't understand. All we need to understand is that there's sin in our lives, that Christ is the Savior. And if we'll put our trust and faith in Christ, He will save to the uttermost all who will come to God by Him. There's still others who say, I would come, but I don't have any feeling. I just don't feel like coming. God is not concerned so much about our feeling. The Scripture does not promise that we'll have feeling concerning Christ. It is all of faith, very little of feeling. Do you suppose that George Washington and the others who spent the, valley, the winter at Valley Forge felt like going out there and having their feet frozen, not having enough clothes to wear? Do you suppose our men who went to Korea or those in Vietnam or those in the Normandy Beach felt like being in that place? You suppose their hearts didn't long to be somewhere else, but they knew they must be there. They knew it was their duty. They knew it was demanded of them. They knew it was responsible of them. They knew this is what they must do. And so they did it not because they felt like it, but because they must do it. Jesus said, if you're to enter heaven, you must be born again. You must turn from sin, turn by faith to Christ. It's not a matter of feeling, it's a matter of commitment. Not so much feeling as faith, putting our faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. There are others who say, well, I would come, but there are too many hypocrites in the church. Well, I want to tell you there are hypocrites in the church. There are also hypocrites in the factory. There are hypocrites in the schoolroom. There are hypocrites in the insurance business. There are hypocrites everywhere you go throughout life. And if you find a few hypocrites in church, wouldn't you rather spend a little while here with a few of them than to spend eternity in hell with every one of them? Because every hypocrite will be in hell. A hypocrite is one who professes to be something when he is nothing. He professes to have Christ when he doesn't have Christ. Now remember, a hypocrite is not a, not a saved person who has some sins in his life. A hypocrite is one who professes something when he possesses nothing. And you and I are not the judges of hypocrites. We're not to say, well, that person is a hypocrite because he has a few sins in his life. The hospital, the church is a hospital for sinners. It is not a museum for saints. And I'd a whole lot rather men come and be in the congregation of the righteous who are grappling with problems and grappling with sins than to let those sins so defeat them that they go out and stay away from God. 
when they expose themselves to the Word of God, God has an opportunity to deal with their heart. And so the idea, there are too many hypocrites in the church, will not hold water. And beside that, if you ever found a perfect church and you joined it, you'd have an awful problem because it wouldn't be perfect any longer. And then there's some who say, well, I would come to Christ, but there are too many things to give up. I can't come because, well, I have to give up this and give up that and so on. Do you know all the Lord ever asked me to give up were things that hurt me? Heartaches, headaches, bitter memories, and all those things that cause bitter tastes in the mouth, bitter hangovers the next day. But when you come to Christ, Christ liberates us and frees us from all those things that would drag us down and gives us a wonderful joy. Some have said, well, I would come to Christ, but I'm not so bad, you know. I'm not as bad as that fellow even down at the church. Ms. Garvin's playing her violin this morning. It was beautiful, Ms. Garvin. But you know when the violinist gets ready to tune her instrument, she doesn't go to another violin or to a banjo or to a guitar. She goes to the major instrument, the piano, and strikes a chord and tunes the instrument from that chord, the major piano. You and I dare not measure our lives by one another. We cannot say, I'm as good as that person. I'm as good as somebody else. I'm as good as the deacon or the deacon's wife. I'm as good as the preacher. I'm as good as the Sunday school teacher. The question is, are you as good as Jesus? Jesus is the one by whom we will be measured. Every man, woman, boy, or girl in this room today will be measured by Jesus. And the question is, are you as good as Jesus? There are some who say, well, I would come, but I'm too young. Others, I'm too old. But Jesus put his finger on the reason men do not come to Christ in John 5, 40, when he said, men do not come because they will not come. The reason you do not come to Christ, the reason you have not gone to seek the lost, the reason you have not moved your letter, the reason you have not... And when you're ready and willing to put your trust and faith in God and turn from your own will, Christ will have his way with you and there will be entrance and entrance into the glorious presence and liberty of Jesus. I want us to, for a moment to see not only the symbol of our neglect but the sin of our neglect. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? We used to keep prospect cards on cards like this, four by six. We would put lost people on red cards. Sometimes we still do this. I have in my hand two cards, names of two men, whose names if I would call, some of you would know. Years ago, they attended our church with some frequency. They were on our prospect file. We used to go visit them. I went time and time again to see these. According to the statements on these, other people have gone. Sometimes they were not home. Other times they were home. And every time it says they said they intend to come. They intend to come. I went to see these two men one night in late August. 
several years ago. They lived on the same street. I went from one house to the next. If I'm not mistaken, I walked down to the next house. At each home, the man said, Preacher, don't push me now. Don't push me now. Just give me some time. I'm going to be gone this next weekend, but the next Sunday I'll be in church and I'll consider seriously what you've said to me. Just don't push me right now. And I left, only to wish the rest of my life that I had pushed them. The next weekend was Labor Day weekend, and on Monday, Labor Day, I spent the day down at Paris Landing, out on the lake. I loved to go out motorboating. Late that night, I came back to Bowling Green, and I got a telephone call to come over on such and such a street. When I went, two red-eyed women with tears streaming down their cheeks said, our husbands went out today to Barren River. They're good swimmers, but somehow their boat capsized and they drowned. Oh, preacher, tell me, where are they? Where's my husband? Where is my husband tonight? Where is he? I was silent. They had been present the week before when I pressed upon them the claims of Christ. They heard their husbands say, Preacher, don't press me tonight. Don't press me tonight. I'm going out of, the ho over, out of town for the weekend. I'll be back next Sunday and I'll come and I'll take seriously the claims you've tried to press on me, but don't press me tonight. They put it off and put it off until it was too late. And as he reasoned of righteousness and self-control and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for a season. When I have a more convenient season, I will call for thee. As far as we know, Felix never had a more convenient season, and he died and went to hell. As far as I know, unless there was repentance in the hearts of these men at the last moment, unless they reached up and claimed the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, as their only source of salvation and forgiveness, these two men, whose names are on this card, have been in hell these years. And I looked face to face to them and urged them to come to Christ. I wish I'd stayed longer. I wish in some of your homes I'd know the discernment of the Spirit of God, how long to stay, how long to press upon you the urgency of coming to Christ. The sin of our neglect is that one day it will be too late. And if we're going to see the sin of our neglect, we need to know who that neglect is against. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? The salvation is all wrapped up in Jesus Christ. And when Jesus was dying on a cross, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. They had spit on him. They had beat his back. They had whipped him, they had scourged him, they had blindfolded him, they had smote him. They said, now, if you're really the Son of God, tell us who it is that hit you. He was led as a lamb before her shares is dumb, and he opened not his mouth. And while he was on that cross between heaven and hell, 
accepting the death penalty for our sins, he looked into the face of God the Father, and he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And in that moment, God the Father and God the Son made an eternal transaction that whosoever would believe in Jesus would not perish but have everlasting life. And when we neglect so great salvation, we neglect Jesus, Jesus, who died for our sins and who extends life and opportunity to us. Quickly, I want you to see the seriousness of that neglect. In Psalm, rather Proverbs 29.1, He that being often reproved and hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. Most of you in this place and those who listen by radio have heard enough of the gospel. You've had enough invitations to the gospel. You've had enough invitations from people who love you and are concerned about you and want to see you saved so that if you never had one other invitation, nobody ever dealt with you again, this truth would be true to you. He that being often reproved and hardeneth his neck shall suddenly, suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. If somebody should go out this afternoon and suddenly be destroyed, don't say, well, God, you didn't give me any more warning. You've had all the warning you need. This past week, a dear man died at the hospital. He had been in the hospital almost two years. It will be two years in December. He was not from Bowling Green, but from another place. He was here in this hospital in Bowling Green. Several people went by and witnessed to the man. I went by and stood by him and tried to tell him about Jesus. But I want to tell you that for two years, he couldn't hear, he couldn't understand, he couldn't talk. We don't know whether he heard or not, but there was no way to express. He was all closed up in himself. This awful, awful brain injury that came when he had the tragic accident. He lived nearly two years. And I want to say to you, I just pray. I did not know him before he was injured but I pray that he was a saved man if he was not. I don't know whether the gospel got through to him or not, but the other day I stood with him with his doctor and told him how to be saved, how to accept Jesus as Savior, how sin had taken its toll and how Christ died on the cross to forgive our sins. And if he would trust Jesus, he could be saved. I don't know whether he was saved or not. There was no evidence there was no evidence of even understanding. And he went out into eternity. Now that same thing could happen to you. You could leave here today, be injured in a wreck, and live two or three years in a state of vegetation. And if you're not saved when you go out of here, you cannot be saved in that period if you will not understand. In order to be saved, you have to understand the gospel. And I want to urge you to do that today. In Genesis chapter 6, God said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. There's a line that is drawn by rejecting our Lord where the spirit is lost, where the call of the spirit is lost. And you hurry along with the pleasure-mad throng, but have you counted? Have you counted the cost? They tell us that on 
Niagara River, leading down to Niagara Falls. There's a series of signs, a sign that says, danger ahead, another sign, danger ahead, another sign, a little bit larger, danger ahead, and finally a great big sign that says, the point of no return. A man and his little boy were going down the Niagara River on a little boat. He passed the sign that said, danger ahead, and the boy said, Daddy, shouldn't we turn back? Daddy said, son, I've been this, ro- ro- this river many times. It's all right. We'll be, be all right. They went on down and finally saw another sign. Daddy, shouldn't we turn back? Look at that sign. Son, it's all right. Daddy's been on this river many times. It's all right. They went on down a little bit farther and came to that great big sign that said, the point of no return. The little boy said, Daddy, Daddy, what are we going to do? And the daddy said, it's all right, son. I'll turn around. And he tried his best to turn that little boat around. And he tried and worked and worked and tried all to no avail, and the boat went down, down, down to the awful cliff and went down on the rocks below in the mighty Niagara, and the boy and his daddy were both beaten in the rocks because the daddy would not listen to the signs. God has erected signs along the way. Danger ahead, danger ahead. Those signs are for two, are twofold in purpose. Number one, to those who have never been saved, to turn from sin and turn to Christ and come immediately to Jesus, who is the only way of salvation. And number two, to save people, to urge us to go out and win people while there is still time to tell them about Christ and urge them to come and get under the gospel of Christ. And that's my message today. That's my prayer. May we pray. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Our heads bowed and eyes closed. Our Father, we pray today that Jesus will speak to all of our hearts, that those who have never been saved will be warned to flee from the wrath to come, will turn to Christ. And those who are God's children by faith will say, Lord, I don't want people to go on neglecting this great salvation. I want them to come. May we be willing to give our time in the coming days getting people under the gospel of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand, please? I'd like to request that none of us move around. The Holy Spirit is speaking to our hearts. If you're here this morning and you've never been saved, I want to ask you to not neglect another moment but to come to Christ just as you are. Just step out for him and say, I want to give my heart to Christ. I want to take a stand for Jesus. I'm yielding my heart and my life to him today. Maybe you've already been saved. Somebody maybe was saved in Sunday school this morning. You need to make it public. You need to come and take a stand for God. If you're here today and you have never before put your trust in Jesus, the Bible says you're lost and on the way to hell. And unless you repent of sin, you will not be saved. I want to ask you to come to Christ. If your membership is in some other church and God wants you here, you come. If you've been saved and have not made it public, you ought to come. Some need to come and follow their Lord in believer's baptism. You ought to come this morning. While we wait, while we pray, while we sing, who will be the first to step out for the King? God help you to do it while we sing, while we wait.